Yeah, I had a fucking long ass week. Just everybody wants COVID tests, and I don't have enough COVID tests for anybody yet. It's, I mean, yeah, that's for sure. So, <laughs> you know, you got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Just, um, yeah, don't give it to that Why the Last Man show, though. Like, just don't. That's fine. <laughs> I can wait. The comic book industry right now, I feel like it needs a timeout and, like, can wait for this kind of stuff. So, like, let's yeah. just do that. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, right now, I'm, I'm, like, I have all the time in the world to catch up on, like, the CW series and stuff, and I'm just not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just, like, there's, like, other things that I've been putting off that, like, I'm, like, I'd rather probably, you know, l- watch these fucking, like, non-comic book movies that i've been wanting to watch or like i started watching dark on netflix and shit like that and like you know genre stuff but not like comic book genre stuff i i've had a bunch of people telling me i need to watch ozark and i was like i should probably sit down and finally watch that which is like the furthest thing from genre you can get these days apparently so i was like yeah yeah not i haven't really in like the genre mood this week so it was interesting yeah, going to Marvels and stuff. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's because that's like hardcore genre. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, right? Like it's like the most Marvel thing you can get. So I mean, yeah. it's in the title and, and everything, right? So <laughs> indeed. Uh, well, that sounds like good preamble then. So let's get into it. Welcome back, listeners, to Dance Robot Dance, our weekly podcast where we talk about all things nerdy and geeky from a decidedly not safe for work point of view. This is our 204th episode. I am Tim. I am going to be hosting this week coming to you for hopefully one last week from a hotel room in Mississauga because we're my, my wife and I are moving into our new house in Toronto next week. And with me, I've got Mark coming to me from St. Catharines. What up everybody? Yeah, so it is exciting times. It is things are things are changing. Um, Paul is not here this week because he is in quarantine in Korea. I assume he's going crazy, also. But like, I'm sorry, I'm watching Winston. I know. Talk to your turtle as well. <laughs> this on is, the screen. This is an ongoing drama. The last like couple of days. So listeners, they don't know, like each other. I don't. I don't. I. I think so. Listeners know that like I've got a couple dogs. You've heard Winston fucking barking on the podcast the last couple months. Yes. I have left some of that in. Yeah. And we also have a turtle that we rescued from my mother-in-law's front yard like 10 years ago before we got married. And it's living in a plastic tub right now in a hotel room with a heating pad under it to keep the water like warm. And Winston has, I think, I mean, Winston's kind of an idiot dog. And just this past week has kind of figured out that the turtle exists and like keeps like jumping up on the edge of this plastic tub and like, I'm concerned he's going to jump in and fuck with it. And right now he's like pawing at the fucking tub. Well, trying see, to at, at a, For a second, it looked like he was just going to lay next to it and like try and communicate psychically with the <laughs> turtle. But now he's gotten up and is definitely like sitting on the edge looking in. He hasn't quite scooted to the point where he's going to jump in, but he is like, he's yeah. like, I want to get in there with my buddy. I think this guy's my buddy. Turtle's going to bite him on the nose or something like that. Yeah, exactly. This is not going to go well for either party involved. So, listeners, if you hear me start freaking out in the middle of this podcast, that's probably what's happening. Yeah, it'll be you freaking out and me just laughing hysterically. <laughs> so. Jesus. Uh, anyways, yeah, so uh, like I said, Paul is, is in quarantine in Korea right now. He got back safe and sound. Uh, well, we don't want to be safe and sound <laughs> smart, yet. smart, actually. He's like you know. figuring out the steps and stuff. I, I like it. <laughs> so so paul if you're listening uh you know ha- happy quarantine and uh we'll talk to you soon and uh fucking dog all right hold on i'm gonna grab him yep the last thing i need is this fucking dog like 
soaked in turtle shit water. I was more worried about him knocking the whole. I'm mean, like, it's probably not heavy to knock the whole thing over with that oh, much no, water. That, yeah, in that it. thing, that thing's weighed the fuck down. I'm mostly concerned about like turtle and or Winston hurting each other in some way. All right. <laughs> He's a sucky dog. It's worse than mine. <laughs> Here, you want some in my lap? If that'll keep you away from the fucking turtle, we can do that. No barking though. It's gonna be loud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that is where where we are all at this weekend. Um, so or this week. Uh, it's Friday night, it's a weekend. Uh, so yep. let's start out by getting into the news. A little bit of bummer news today for Lord of the Rings fans, genre movie fans in general. Ian Holm, who played uh, Bilbo in Lord of the Rings and uh, reprised that role for a cameo in the Hobbit movies uh, before Martin Freeman took over, and uh, also played Bishop in Alien and was in Chariots of Fire, was in Brazil, was in... A lot of other things as well. I mean, dude did a ton of Shakespearean roles and stuff like that as well. Uh, he passed away um, from complications related to Parkinson's disease uh, at the age of 88. Uh, That's sad. So, sad. I mean, good, good long career. And and his last role on screen was when he reprised The Hobbit, or when he reprised Bilbo and The Hobbit. Uh, he also actually played Frodo in uh, the BBC radio play. So we played both Bilbo and Frodo at some point. We played Bilbo and Frodo in that radio play and then went nice. on to play Bilbo in the uh, uh, in the movies. So yeah, yeah, definitely definitely will be missed and a lot of outpouring of support and stuff like that uh, or, you know, not kind words and stuff for him. Elijah Woods was the saddest one played Frodo, obviously. He, was, his, he finished it off by saying farewell uncle. And that yeah. got yeah, that got me right in the fucking gut. Yeah, but yeah, no, uh, I saw that today. I think uh, I saw, I can't remember who I saw posting about it. I think it might have been Ridley Scott or Sigourney Weaver or somebody from the Alien movie that posted the original like thing that I saw. So mm-hmm. that's sad. He was so good in that. And, mm-hmm. like, that's, and that's just like one role of several thousand or whatever the fuck that he's done. So Yeah, I mean, well, like I, I remember him originally from Alien. He was so fucking yeah. good as, as Bishop uh, in that movie. And then, yeah, that, he was great in that as well. He, so, yep, definitely a loss. Let's see other casualties related to the this one. These related to the coronavirus. Uh, Star Wars Celebration 2020 has been canceled. Uh, was supposed to be happening in. <laughs> oh god! Oh man, this is great. So, listeners, I, I'm going to leave this in because it's kind of funny. But like, Tim has I had to go back one more time to get Winston, who will just not. Leave the turtle alone. He really likes that turtle. So we'll see how long this lasts. <laughs> the problem is if I put him in the fucking crate, he'll bark his head off at me. So yeah. I guess you're just staying in my lap for the next hour and a half, buddy. So Star Wars Celebration is uh, canceled, was supposed to be coming to uh, Anaheim in August. And fucking two months from now, nothing is going to be happening in Anaheim. So no, no, <laughs> so. Yeah, California sounds like kind of a shit show right now. So yeah, and and Star Wars Celebration isn't only. Oh no, it is. It's every every year, but it looks like it's not coming back until twenty twenty two. So they've gone ahead and just said, yeah, it's not fucking happening next year either. Yeah, it's not uh, super like comforting to think that we'll still be in this situation like in two or in a year. So yeah, but seeing the numbers that are coming out of uh, our neighbors to the south is not exactly making it seem like. 
you know, we're going to get waves, just like one nice big consistent wave of people dying. So. Yeah, exactly. Fuck. Wear a mask, guys. Just wear a mask mm-hmm. when you go out, for fuck's sakes. Star Wars Celebration is one that I think I would like to try and do someday. It, it yeah. looks like really cool, and, and there's a lot of amazing... They, I mean, they get top talent and shit like that for it, so... And, yeah, and fucking cosplay for it. You know, Star Wars cosplay, obviously, is for it is, is amazing. So... We'll see someday, not next, not this year, and not next year. Apparently, yeah, no kidding. Warner Brothers is apparently doing an online con in August, so I, you know, they're trying to sort of have an outlet for all of the stuff that they would normally be announcing at places like San Diego Comic Con. So they're doing this online thing called uh, DC Fan Dome, which is yes. Pretty fucking stupid name, Agreed. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know it's going to have stuff about uh, Wonder Woman 1984, about the uh, James Gunn Suicide Squad. About was that now was Wonder Woman not supposed to be out like this weekend? Like was that was it it's... this weekend or is it July or something like that? Like it was supposed to be out in like this window. So yeah, originally it was. Uh, I think last weekend was when it's oh, okay. like when its original uh, yeah. uh, date was, and it and it just got bumped again actually. Yeah, it's back into November now or something like that. Or was that something else? Something else got pushed too, so. Yeah, a bunch of stuff has, has started to get uh, bumped. Uh, October 2nd for uh, Wonder Woman. Oh, okay. Wonder Woman 1984. Okay. What else? They're also pushing back the fourth Matrix movie to basically a year to April yeah. April 2022 from May 2021. Yeah. And what was the other one there oh and godzilla versus kong also got bumped back as well yeah but yeah i don't know the uh that that dc fandom which i I know name's fucking terrible but i think it'll be cool because it'll be you know it's the closest thing we're gonna get to a con this year yeah you know is is you know that you'll know that you're watching this stuff along with all of these other fans at the same time kind of thing so you'll still feel like you're kind of part of something larger so it'll be interesting to see kind of what sort of what sort of stuff they they come up with for that, you know, how to make it more than just like, hey, here's a video, here's another video, here's another video. Yeah, kind of. What's cool because they're doing. Uh, I saw I got like tagged in a thing this week too. Um, not just my mom trying to find me construction work, but uh, <laughs> also. Thanks, Karen. Yeah, thanks, mom. <laughs> they have they're having like an open call for artists and stuff like that to do to put stuff in. So awesome. I saw. I noticed that like they're doing, they want like just like pen ups and pages and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm working on some crap. I'm working on some crap, but I yeah. thought I was I, at the very least put the, uh, my 66, my Batman 66 piece in there to see what happens. So yeah, for sure. Cause well, I mean, there, there's definitely some openings at DC at the moment. <sighs> yeah. There's going to be a lot uh, so. more. It sounds like too. This is uh this is the story that I was like, we need to talk about this, but I'm also dreading talking about. So like, yeah, so there's sort of a, a wave of uh, Me Too sort of uh, situations going on in the comic book world, uh, creator and, and artist world right now. Uh, the big one that kind of kicked it all off was uh, Cameron Stewart, who has done some... Uh, he, the biggest stuff he's done for DC was the Batwoman of Burnside stuff with uh, Babs Tar, um, which the art was pretty good on. He's also been drawing the Fight Club sequel comics from Dark Horse as well. Yeah. So he uh, basically was outed for grooming some underage girls in really creepy ways. And it it just sort of started a cascade of other people saying like, 
yes, he did the same thing to me when he was like way older than me and stuff like that. And in some cases, these are people that are creatives that he would have had some implied power dynamic over and shit like that, which makes it even worse. And, and then that started, started kind of an avalanche. Yeah. And some, some other stuff started coming to light that maybe some people knew about, but hadn't really received widespread press, like Warren Ellis being the biggest one. Yeah. Warren Uh, got smacked hard and for good cause. And like, it wasn't, I mean, I don't want to get into it, into it, but like, it was definitely, I wasn't surprised when it started to hit, I guess. So I used to frequent that, the forum trying to break in myself, right? Like that forum where like Kelly Sue DeConnick and Matt Fraction notoriously met and got married like that Warren Ellis forum that was around in the mid two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. But there was definitely like this, uh, and you can go, you need to go read all these tweets and like do the, do your own research on all this stuff. But like, it was definitely, there was the haves and the haves nots. The people that Warren decided were like on the inside were on the inside. And then the rest of us plebes were stuck on the outside kind of thing. So a lot of the people who were on the inside apparently knew about some real weird seedy scummy shit going on, uh, in the background that like the, I guess, whatever you want to call us, the hoi polloi or whatever the fuck, um, weren't aware of going on in there. I was, I'm very disappointed by all of this shit. So that's kind of, you know, and also like Cameron Stewart is a guy I knew, like he's a Toronto artist based artist. So I've met him a number of times. He's reviewed my portfolio. He was always been nice to me, but like, again, I'm not a 16 year old girl. I am a six foot five, 300 pound man, you know? So yeah. Shit's different. I don't know. I do not know. Believe the women, I guess, is kind of the end result of all this stuff. Do your research. Go look at all this stuff. Because it wasn't just comics. Like, almost every industry was getting hit. Like, the the, the wrestling subreddit was just getting fucking lambasted. There was a huge thing going on in the UK oh, wow. this week. So, like, it's been... It's pretty prevalent in almost every industry right now. Just don't be fucking scumbags and keep your goddamn hands to yourself, boys. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. There's like, I think there's like an educational problem. Like we need to teach nerdy dudes who are not good with girls, how to interact with women when that you get to that situation. Cause a lot of this feels just like these guys have no idea how to deal with women. And as soon as they get any kind of power, they just start abusing it for. Yeah. And it's not that. asking 16, 17 year old girls for nudes is not yeah, the way to it's do not- it not the way to do things in case that needs to be said. Yes. Uh, especially. Yeah. And like, you know, like, fuck. I mean, I've been at a million cons girls come up to you and talk to you, but like, you know, don't be a piece of shit when they're doing it. You know what I mean? Also check IDs. Yeah. It's not <laughs> like at least you can ask. It's not super impolite in that particular instance to be like, Hey, how old are you? <laughs> like, yeah. When you've been standing there talking to this person for half an hour, because it happens, it's happened to me, right? Like people come over and just chat with you because you're an artist and they like your work or whatever. So yeah, you don't know how old anybody is. <laughs> like I yeah. really don't, I can't tell. So there you go. Yeah. So so now, um, at the very least, uh, Cameron Stewart has been dropped from DC. Uh, we don't know what else the sort of fallout is going to be from this, but uh, yeah, I'm sure if if it has you know other major impacts, you'll surely hear it from us. Yeah, absolutely. Like there was a bunch of other people that were like involved and stuff like that, but like those were the two big names. There was a lot of them though. So like, go take a look. If you're a wrestling fan, go take a look at that because there's people you probably should not be listening to anymore. Like, it's it was an ugly week for this kind of stuff and just made me fucking nauseous because like this is the industry i always wanted to work in not wrestling obviously like the comic book side of things and it's just like man what's the fucking point like if everybody's a scumbag 
Yeah. Whatever. I don't know. All right. Moving on to things that are less depressing. We got our first look at a uh, new Star Wars game, uh, Star Wars Flyer, you know, sort of uh, shooting simulation. What is it? What's the That's what's called the Star Wars? Term it's for... called a flight simulator. I, well, I, I guess it's a flight simulator. Is that what you would call this kind of game? Or? No, it's, it's it's a it's a dogfighting simulator. Is right. basically what this is, right? So this is uh, Star Wars Squadrons. I think is the name of the yeah. the actual title of the game. It's an EA game. It looks like it's more story based, or has a lot of story based stuff in it. So I don't know. I'm all I'm excited because I like that's kind of always been my favorite Star Wars games. Is always the X Wing games, X Wing, uh, like and, yeah, Rogue Squadron, Rogue like Squadron that. in specific, because like those were the games that were coming out for the uh, like they came out. The first one came out for the sixty four, the N sixty four, and then the like the next one came out for the next two. I think came out for GameCube, and were excellent, excellent games. So it's nice to see something a franchise that has that lineage coming back. Yeah, flying X Wings and shit is cool. It's like the yeah. coolest part of Star Wars still, I guess, right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the stuff that I, I... I I prefer, like, the arcade versions of those games, like the Star yeah. Wars arcade, and, like, there's one... Uh, the more recent version is, like, the Star Wars Battle Pod yeah. uh, that are really fun to play and, and super immersive. I have a little more trouble getting into these. Maybe it's because I've mostly played them on, like, PC rather than on a console, and I imagine they're probably a little easier to c- control on a console. Yes. Yeah, if you don't have a joystick or something like that, these games are not a ton of fun to play. So if you have like that dual analog setup is a little bit more accessible, I guess, to the like regular consumer versus, you know, going out and buying like a real force feedback flight stick and stuff that you would probably want to use for something like this. But like they make three games per generation that are worth having flight sticks for now because you get like maybe an X-Wing game. You'll probably get an Ace Combat game, uh, which is a more arcadey kind of dogfighting simulator really but like more realistic planes like earth kind of planes even though it's not set on earth it's whatever that kind of thing and then microsoft like flight simulator which has been on hiatus for like almost a decade and it's now just getting ready to come back this year i think it's supposed to launch the uh the 2020 version with all the ray tracing and fancy fancy stuff in it so nice yeah yeah, I'm excited for that because I like flight simulators because I'm a dork. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not a game, not a style that I've ever gotten like super invested in. But see what else happened. Did you watch the uh, Ghostbusters uh, reunited apart with Josh Gad this last weekend? Yeah, it was gonna be my geek of the week. It was. Yeah. Uh, I had a good time with it. It was fun. I liked. Yeah, uh, it was cool, and it was definitely there was stuff in there that you know was new that that no, yeah, you know, there, yeah. was, there was stuff. You know, there's there's always those stories that these guys always tell at cons and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And but then the nice thing with these re- reunited apart is I think because it's more of an intimate setting and they're getting all of these guys together, mm-hmm. some new shit comes out and you get these new new little nuggets and stuff. Yeah, there was a good story about uh, the the scene where Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver first go into Dana's apartment. And he's doing the ghosts, and they're like, "Do more, do more, yeah. do more." And like, they're telling the story about him doing the tor- uh, uh, like the torture them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the they piano. hate this kind yeah. of thing, the piano bit. And like, they're all laughing about it. Like, it's like the first time they heard the joke, and I'm like, "Man, that's, I don't know, it's so good." Just yeah. hearing like the way they kind of formulated that kind of stuff, and like, I'm talking about like specifically like talking about Dan Aykroyd having written the script, and then trying to figure out the math on exactly how much of that script was yeah. used in the actual movie. Because <laughs> it starts at like 50-50, and then the number starts kind of veering 60 70 70-30, like... 80-20, I think, in the yeah, end. 80-20, like, I think, by the like, end. It was like 80% like, improv, pretty much, yeah, is what they, <laughs> what they come down on. 
Yeah, and they, like like I said, they, it, it's a thirty minute episode. I think they yeah. give you like four different stats uh, in terms of the percentages and stuff. It's pretty funny because uh, yeah. like each person has a different interpretation of it. Ackroyd thinks most of it was scripted, which no, and then you can see. <laughs> You know, like Ivan Reitman and Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray being like, yeah, it's more like 70, 30 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. By the time you get like Bill Murray and Harold Ramis on a set at the same time and then Rick Moranis is around, blah, blah. But it was it's a lot of fun. If you haven't seen that, I, I highly recommend going to check the uh, that because I, like, I hate Josh Gad. I was not a, like I hate that guy. So I was not <laughs> looking forward to him. I hadn't watched any of them yet uh, until this one came out. So yeah. I went back and watched Back to the Future as well, which was mm. a lot of fun. So yeah, he just—I mean, Gad it does a pretty good job of just kind of like sitting back and letting them go way. off. Yeah, he—you yeah. know—he'll—he'll he'll start the ball rolling and then he'll just let the momentum go and until he needs to sort of rock him up again, kind of thing. Yeah, so. I will say I liked getting Kumal Nanjiani better on Ghostbusters better than getting J.J. Abrams on Back to the Future. Like, was the special like <laughs> nerd kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. guy because kumal is fucking hilarious so and yeah. jj's just like jj yeah and the cool thing was like you don't get to hear bill murray talk about ghostbusters that much but he was no. like there he was fully engaged in it like it wasn't yeah. like he was just there you know any, anymore like if you get bill murray you don't know what bill murray's gonna show up whether it's like yeah. bill, bill murray here for the paycheck or like bill murray here to fucking play and this yeah. was bill murray here to fucking play yeah, I think I think when he gets a chance to, I think he's got a crush on Sigourney Weaver. Like that's the only way I could read that whole scenario is that he's got a thing for Sigourney Weaver, and whenever she's around, he's got that energy. He's in, he's in rare form. Yeah, whenever they do these kinds of panels about this movie or these movies or whatever, and like it's just the guys, he's a, he's usually pretty subdued. But like yeah. when her and Annie Potts are around, all of a sudden he's like, he's there to you know, Bill Murray. Ladies. Yeah, he's trying to impress the ladies or something. I guess I don't know. But. He was, yeah, he was pretty funny. He was like throwing out the, you know, one liners and shit all throughout. So, yeah. What do you do? Complain about Bill Murray? Bill Murray's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter which Bill Murray you get. If you get shitty Bill Murray, it's still Bill Murray. But if you get the good one like you get in this, yeah, that's the best Bill Murray. So, there you go. <laughs> Agreed. Just a couple more things. This one is not something we really talk about too much. It's sort of classic arcade gaming, um, but it was a pretty big story sort of back when it originally happened. Billy Mitchell, who is the guy that the King of Kong documentary was made about and then had a whole bunch of controversy about his records and that they are, the videos might have been like doctored or he was playing on like emulators. Playing an emulator, yeah. yeah. The Guinness Book of World Records has apparently surveyed some new evidence that is that has been put to light and they've reinstated his high scores and a bunch of his records now so this fucking like thing just keeps dragging on it's been like it's been a decade like a decade of this shit like who cares who gives a shit I just, I, there's I, there's a bunch of like there's I, mean, I know and i know that's arcade the thing, like, nerds it, and stuff yeah. that really care about this shit i know it hit uh, it hit reddit like today or yesterday and i was like wow like they're still talking about this like it's donkey kong <laughs> like I don't, whatever yeah i mean the guy like still from all accounts is just a fucking like asshole so yeah. well, i've heard he's a huge <laughs> piece of shit so what are you yeah. gonna do <laughs> so and then the very last thing was there was a slight delay to one of the most anticipated video games of the year cyberpunk 2077 was delayed uh from september to november 19th uh, that's the november date i had in my head that's the oh, one okay. that i was like something just got pushed back that was huge that i'm very annoyed by and it's cyberpunk 2077 so yes cyberpunk got pushed back to november that's well sad. you've got you've got last of us two to play in last the of us yeah it came that, out today i yeah. think 
yeah, officially. Just, so, it did yeah. just yeah, just dropped today. So you know, it's basically they just want to make sure that it's fucking finished and that it's you know bug free and everything before they put it out. And yeah, they're going to be coming into the uh, launch window of the next gen consoles now. Though that's my my concern for them in terms of sales. It's just like is is sales basically right? Is because they're going to come out right at the cross trend point and i don't know if that game's optimized for the new systems so yeah love to see how that how that pans out but yeah. all the best to them cd project red they apparently do good games that christy has been yelling at me to play for the better part of a decade now so that's cool are they witcher is that yeah cd project red did witcher and dragon i think they do the dragon age games so mm. this is their next game and I, i'm interested in playing it because it's actually subject matter that i'm interested in cyberpunk versus you know Sexy witch man, I guess, is a little <laughs> bit more my style. So, you know, it, it it would have to be sexy vampire man for you to be into it. Yes, more sexy <laughs> vampire man. There you go. But that's everything I had. Did I miss anything? Not that I'm aware of, or that I actually really want to talk about because everything <laughs> else is depressing. So, yeah, fair enough. So, all right. Well, with that, we can move on to our. Geek of the week. Winston is licking my face while I'm saying it. <laughs> I won't let him out of my lap. This is, we're doing two and a half hosts this week, apparently. Winston is yeah. host, host number two and a half. So this is a segment where we talk about the nerdiest thing we've done in the past week or so. So, Mark, what is your geek of the week? Well, it was that's the the Ghostbusters thing. Like I was, <laughs> we just talked about. So uh, I basically sat down and watched that yesterday, and I had. And I still, I actually, I watched the movie right after I watched it too. So I threw the movie on afterwards to sit through it again. But uh, yeah, no, it was just, it was fun to see those guys all chatting about this movie that like, like we're obsessed with, everybody's obsessed with, blah, 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 blah. It's Ghostbusters, man. You know, like it's just one of those <laughs> movies that like, especially when you can get that cast together, it's a lot of fun to hear those guys just like shoot the shit and tell stories. It's always good also to like do an every five year check-in on Dan Aykroyd to see <laughs> how much weirder he has gotten <laughs> in the interim. Just how the last much time. fucking obtuse he's become. Oh man, he gets fucking weirder. Like I love Dan Aykroyd to death. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I love all that paranormal shit that he's into. Like I read all that stuff, all that kind of crap. I love it to death. Like I don't take it as seriously as he does apparently. Cause yeah, He's lost his goddamn mind, but like I loved it, but I love Dan Aykroyd. You know what I mean? But it is every once in a while you catch him on a podcast or he does one of these things, and it's like he starts talking about it, and you're like, man, he's 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 up another notch on like some kind of scale. Somewhere. He's one of those guys that's really bought into his own legend, I think, kind yeah, of thing, yeah. and yeah, bought into his own hype. Yeah, on this on the call, like if anybody hasn't seen it, like he's wearing like a face covering half the time. He's got fucking sunglasses on, yeah. like yeah. indoors. It's just. It's just it's kind of weird, but he gets he gets weirder and weirder every time I see him. Like we yeah. can't not do a Ghostbusters thing and not call it Dan Aykroyd. You know what I mean? I'm sure by now they're all like, "Oh man, can we just not call it Dan?" Because like, fuck it, uh, right? <laughs> but like, I like you can't get Harold Ramis anymore. So <laughs> and Rick Moranis won't fucking come yeah. Out. Rick Moranis doesn't do shit. So if you want to talk yeah. about Ghostbusters, you got to like fight to get Bill Murray, <laughs> yeah. or you go get Dan Aykroyd, who will just voluntarily sit there and talk to you for ninety <laughs> minutes about it. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and everything else. Yeah, exactly. And he'll throw advertisements for his his paranormal TV shows and for his Crystal Head vodka, his vodka and everything yeah, like that too. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so immediately with the vodka, did he not start talking about the vodka in that? I think he may have started talking uh, about the vodka. I, I think there. somebody else might have might have thrown uh, out a dig about the vodka at some yeah. point. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Somebody <laughs> said something about it. And I was like, all right, the fucking vodka. I forgot about the stupid vodka. That's right. Yeah. My brother-in-law has yeah. got a couple bottles of that just because like he likes the bottles more or less, but it's somebody fucking expensive. Yeah. Somebody bought me a bottle. I have it. It's in a box somewhere in this shit pile. So yeah, yeah. but I, uh, I don't know. I never tried it. I, I just, I took it and was like, oh, this is the Dan Aykroyd vodka. Yeah. Cool. And go with my cool. other Ghostbuster stuff. Yeah, basically. So. <laughs> so maybe one day I'll get him to sign it and just put yeah. it in with my collection of stuff. So, <laughs> so for me, my geek of the week was again playing Lord of the Rings online. Uh, Alicia and I were playing a little bit last weekend because uh, she got to Canada last Saturday, and so uh, she's currently. How's she doing? Like, was she going crazy? Uh, I think she's doing all right. I mean, she's not really a big outdoor person anyway. So like yeah. her and I are both kind of made for quarantine. Um, I'm a little more social than she is. So I think she might be doing even better. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like I feel like Alicia and I are like both kind of like built for this. Like this yeah. is fine for me. You know, people are like, oh, do you not miss people? And I'm like, no, this is great. I see <laughs> people fucking blow. Yeah, I fucking hate people. <laughs> like, stay away from me. So <laughs> I've seen more people since I've been down in St. Catharines because like families like pops in and stuff like that yeah. than we were having in Milton. And I'm just like, man, I kind of miss that house because like we were like an hour away and nobody spoke to us. It was pretty <laughs> great. Like, it was yeah. pretty fucking cool. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's back. She's in Canada doing her quarantine right now. But like, you know, I can't see her or spend time with her really so uh we were spending time last weekend playing lord of the rings online together uh so we're just kicking around kicking around fangorn forest helping out the ents sort of after after everything that goes on in isengard is kind of about where we are in the game right now so nice yeah fun times uh are you guys going to document your dog reunion or like are they (laughs) are your dogs super bonded to each other we're like at two weeks distance we'll give them like a freak out or whatever Winston Gordon could fucking care less. He's a pretty independent dog. Uh, yeah. Winston, I think, misses Gordon. And I mean, I I should say I did go down last weekend um, to welcome Alicia. Like we just mm. stayed at a distance from each other. Yeah. Um, and then we all had like my parents came down as well, and we all had dinner on the lawn. And like Alicia was on one end of the lawn, and like all the rest of us were on the other end of the <laughs> lawn because. In, in Ontario now, you know, you can have like your little social circle of up to 10 people that you're allowed to like have close contact with. And so, you know, with that, it's like basically our, our family of the six of us, me, my, my parents, uh, my sister and her husband, and then Alicia will be part of it when she's out of quarantine. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, and, and with that, Winston and Gordon got to like get within sniffing distance of each other at least. But Winston was so frustrated the whole time. He was like, why can't I go play with them? Gordon could care less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. But all right. Well, with that, we can move on to our meat of the episode. Marvelously painted meat. <laughs> and awkward silence from Mark. Yeah. <laughs> the best. So this week in a gross miss or grossly out of character action uh i suggested to mark that we should read some marvel comics i and i after finishing shitting myself in excitement (laughs) i agreed i was very i was confused and taken (laughs) aback by everything i was Uh, like what are you talking about you don't know what Marvel comics are, so how is this going to work? How are we going to do this? Well, I, I've been missing Marvel lately, to be honest with you, because we we haven't been getting Marvel movies yeah, lately. Yeah, no movies. 
Yeah, fair. You know, we haven't. Uh, I, I have. I've been watching a little bit of like. I, I finished season six of Agents of Shield, but like, there's not much in the way of Marvel TV right now either. You know, there's no more of the Netflix series. No, our new Netflix series. So uh, I was. I, I had a little Jones in for some Marvel. Plus, we've been covering a lot of DC lately. We've been doing all this Batman stuff. So I figured it was time for a change of pace. I can live with that. So. I was happy. <laughs> I was happy to be home. You know what I mean? Like the 616 is very much home. I was very happy to be home. This so. is not the 616. We weren't in the 616. This is 616. What? This is the 616. This How? is the main Marvel Universe. The main Marvel Universe is the 616. This is the main Marvel Universe they're telling the history of. Yeah, so this is... Well, first off, let's tell people what we're talking about. We're talking about the 1994 uh, miniseries Marvels, which is uh, written by Kurt Busiek and drawn by the legendary Alex Ross, or painted, I should say, by the legendary Alex Ross, which is sort of a, a retelling of the history of the Marvel Universe. But I don't see how it can be the 616, though, because the 616 is still modern. That would make, like... This is called sliding timeline. This is what this yeah. is what Marvel does as opposed to rebooting every 10 years. Like they don't have to do the <laughs> reboot every 10 years, but we have to deal with all this weird like I guess Tony Stark's a Vietnam War veteran in 2010. He's not now, he's not anymore. They wrecked yeah. on that to be Afghanistan, but like yeah. yeah. This is supposed to be the actual in continuity Marvel universe. The stuff that they still refer to and have now retconned to be a little bit different. This is still the core. Like it's still the same universe. It's not where like all of the X-Men are in their 70s. They would be now, absolutely. It's very strange. <laughs> like I said, it doesn't necessarily make sense. It's just sliding time scale versus let's do a reboot every couple years, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like these are the same characters that they've always been. Unlike Superman who is now the now he's again the third version or something like that. <laughs> Even though uh, it was like the fifth version and then yeah, he rolls back to the yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. that shit's confusing. This but shit's then Doomsday confusing. Clock fixed all that kind of yeah okay <laughs> neither side is doing a good job of this let's just put it that way hey i i love that uh oh what was the term that they used in uh in doomsday clock the metaverse i love that oh, idea. that's was, i mean that's that works really well for dc when they want to reboot every 10 years i guess so that you know yeah. good for them yeah. cool so where yeah where the they have that idea where like the universe sort of recorrects itself around superman superman <laughs> so as a Superman fan, I'm I'm good with that. Try not to see. It's like it's like they have to walk like the longest possible path and not just be like, oh yeah, this is God we're writing about. You know what I yeah. mean? Like the universe folds in around itself for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. But anyway, cool Marvels. We're talking about Marvels, which is a the first full the first story that Alex Ross fully did the interior art for. Yeah. Uh, so it's the first time that we ever got his, uh, for anybody that's not familiar with Alex Ross's work, he does like fully painted pages, like everything, you know, it's not your classic, like pencils and ink kind of comic book drawings. It's all fully painted. I, I Do you know like what size canvases he does these pages on? He does them. Uh, it depends on the page. Uh, generally, I think when he was doing Marvels, he was working at 18 by, I want to say 18 by 12 or something like that. Um, okay. He works in a, a, a watercolor-ish format called gouache. So it's a little bit yeah. different the way he does his stuff as opposed to like an oil painting or something like that. Watercolor has a nicer, softer blend and stuff. So, I mean easier to blend in a soft way, I guess. Like you can do real chunky shit with oil paints. You can't do with water, but yeah, he's been doing this stuff forever like this. And he draws, I think some of the pages he goes up 
when he wants more detail. Like, I bet you if you were to buy, mm-hmm. like, the Superman Appears page in Kingdom Come or something like that, I bet you that's a big fucking piece of work that he put together. And then, yeah. you know, so they could scale it nice because it's scaled to posters and stuff. But yeah, I think yeah. generally speaking, he works only slightly bigger than the standard comic page. So I guess for anybody who's listening that doesn't know, the standard comic page, like what you would use now in the industry and has been for probably the last five-ish decades is an 11 by 17 or tabloid side piece, like sized piece of paper with a, so you'd be about an inch of gutter on the left and right, and then an inch and a half of gutter on the top and right. So you end up with a 10 by five, 15 inch square or blocks inside the 11 by 17 sheet with various bleed and stuff lines in there to draw like your panels and stuff on. So he's working just slightly above that. And like, you don't necessarily have to work at that size anymore. Like some guys, I know uh, Brian Hitch likes to work a little bigger so he can work some more detail in. Well, a lot of people work digitally now as well. Now a lot of guys like myself are working digitally in that kind of thing. So like, yes, I can do like, I'll build my page at 11 by 17, but I'm also building the page at like 900 dots per inch. So I've got that much more kind of resolution to work with while I'm playing. So and by playing, I mean drawing. It's basically the same thing if you're (laughs) actually into it. So yeah either way yeah so he does all his stuff at like i think a little bit bigger than what standard comic book art is done but not by much so yeah so we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves uh so Mar- marvel's basically like i said it's sort of a retelling of the history of the marvel universe it sort of incorporates a bunch of really uh, hallmark moments in marvel history uh some of which i'm familiar with some of which i am not familiar with yep but this is a series that Mark has definitely pimped on the podcast previously, and it had been on my reading list uh, for on my Marvel Universe app for ages now. So I figured, like, all right, let's just sit down and like read a little nice little limited series that has a lot of good uh, good critical reception behind yeah. it, kind of thing. So it's also nice too because it gives you the broad strokes of the early days of the Marvel Universe through like, and we'll talk about it as we go through. But like from the first meta or whatever you want to call the human torch the original human torch the pre-fantastic four human torch and namor and captain america and it follows them all the way through the 60s as like avengers and fantastic four and spider-man happen kind of thing Mm -hmm. um so it's a nice kind of like this is the because like going back and reading these like those stories that these are originally based on is not easy you know what i mean like it's it can be pretty painful i love those stanley originals but like they're an acquired taste uh, especially yeah. from a 2020 perspective. So this is a nice kind of concise way of being like, oh, you like Marvel. This is what the comic book universe kind of, this is how it started in a very prestige format because you've got these beautiful Alex Ross paintings. And it's written by Kurt Busiek, who is arguably one of the best that's ever done the fucking job, really. Like he's been working in the industry for 30 years. He's written basically everything you can write at this point. And I can't really think of anything that he's written that I'm like, oh yeah, he fucking fucked that up real bad because he's a pretty consistently talented guy. So yeah. one of the only one of the few comic book creators I still follow on Twitter, actually, to this day. So, mm. yeah. So what are sort of your your top level? I mean, you've already given a little bit of impression, but what are your sort of your top level feelings and, and impressions of Marvel's? I like Marvel's quite a bit. I this is super early Alex Ross work, so it's not as tight and like almost machine precise as what you get now or like especially now because we're going to talk about that because there's a little epilogue they did like 30 years later that you can last see year the, yeah 25 years later yeah you can see the insane like a uh, change to like how precise is and like almost digital his style looks now compared yeah. to what we get in this which is a much more kind of 
softer, I guess, kind of look. Yeah, a little bit more raw. Um, but Marvel's is it's this is how I picture the the original history of the Marvel Universe. Basically, like when I, people talk about like the pre Spider-Man days of the Marvel Universe, this is kind of how I picture it. It's the idealized, glossy, rose-colored version of all that stuff that happened before Steve and Stan and Jack created Spider-Man. Because that's kind of where my entry point really to the Marvel Universe is is with Spider-Man early on like i went back and read all the fantastic four stories and avengers early avengers stories after the fact but i came in as a spider-man guy so this is kind of how i overall <laughs> right back to the turtle eh? oh uh, he's awesome yeah Man, sorry yeah so this is this is the book that like if somebody's like what what do i need to know about the history of marvel before the main run of books i'm like just read these four issues yeah. It's beautiful. It's Kurt Busick written, and it'll give you the broad strokes of how you should feel about this universe. Because it does hit on everything that like the universe uses even to this day in terms of like them not trusting the heroes necessarily and all that kind of stuff. So I like I've always liked Marvels. I like Marvels. This is my favorite Alex Ross comic, probably, because it's more of a it he feels more natural in this era because he's such a silver age dork. Um <laughs> Fucking dog is is the guy that's know, right in the turtles. Oh, it's just making me. I was making me laugh watching you watch him more than anything else. Like this is the best part of this podcast for me this week. <laughs> He's such a dumb looking dog too. He's like, derp. Hi, bud. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> this this episode has a fucking B plot. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. This uh. So either way, this thing, uh, Marvel's works perfectly to Alex Ross's uh, Silver Age fetish also. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. He gets to like work in the Silver Age. He doesn't have to make any of the concessions he has to make when he draws modern heroes or anything like that. And what's he doing now? I can't see him. He's off camera. No, he's just looking at me like an idiot. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, for my, for my part, it was good. The art was fantastic. I ended up feeling like as someone that's not as steeped in Marvel history, the way that I am in DC history, that it was keeping me at a distance at times. Yep. Well, there's a lot because you're getting the broad overview of stuff, yeah. right? Like you're not necessarily getting to go into the nitty gritty. You're not really spending any time with the characters you want to spend time with. You know what I mean? Like you're not inside Peter Parker's head throughout yeah. any of this. And I, yeah, I'm okay with that for the most part. But just I, I had a couple of issues with the writing, which we'll get into. But overall, when you consider that this was made by a couple of dudes in their fucking mid twenties, like yeah. Busiek and Ross were both like around twenty five when they fucking did this. Like, yeah, it's it's really impressive. Yeah, the uh, looking at this art and realizing that the guy who made it is twenty five and now does what he does now makes me want to eat a gun sometimes because like it's so good, and like at twenty five I was not this good. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, <laughs> none of us were. So, no, Alex no. Ross is the only one that was this good. At yeah, apparently. So, yeah, I guess so. He's he's <laughs> like, there's some pages I turn out like I flip through as I'm flipping through it, and I'm just like, holy shit, he is. Yeah, that's right. He's 25 doing this. He is. Yeah, like ungodly talented. So, yeah, because uh, like this was basically the only the second thing that he'd really done in terms of interior art for a comic book. He did like some stuff on a Clive Barker Hellraiser book before that, this, and yeah, that's was, apparently uh, how we got this gig was the editor that oversaw that or, or Clive Barker himself, I think yeah. basically recommended him and said, here's the, you guys need to fucking give this guy some work. Yeah. He, uh, he was working uh, a very familiar story to me. He was working in advertising and design when he, uh, 
moved over and became a full-time painter and started doing the comic book stuff. So yeah, lucky guy. So, but all right, do we want to, do we want to do art first then? I mean, basically there's two major components to the story and, and art is one and story is the other. Sure. I mean, like I, we've talked, we can talk about the art. Absolutely. I don't know what you want to talk about in particular about the art. Like, what do you want to talk I mean, about? For, for, I'm pretty like, we've already said Alex Ross is a fucking outstanding artist. The art here for the time, especially was unprecedented in comic yeah. books. And I think that's kind of like something we should really emphasize also is like we'd never seen anything when this like this when it had come out like i remember yeah. picking this up as just a fan back then and like a wannabe illustrator also just like almost fucking collapsing in my car and crying realizing i'm probably never going to get hired if this is the kind of stuff they want but like because <laughs> so beautiful you know what i mean like you flip through that first issue and you're just like holy shit and this is remember again this is 1995 right like we weren't seeing stuff like this all the time 94. we didn't know 94 yeah yeah uh so that's 25 26 years now that's crazy yeah. like an old book <laughs> yeah but it's mind-blowing like it's just like it's so different like you we saw you would occasionally get nice oil paintings for covers on books and stuff like that and yeah. i have books about the history of painted comics and like yeah it's it, this was the book that like showed people that you could do full pages in beautiful like hyper detailed watercolor and stuff and people really liked it because it gave you this it was pre-CG too, right? So it was also kind of like the most realistic way of seeing these characters portrayed at this yeah. point. Because like all these things look almost photoreal. So it's almost like you never saw Captain America or Spider-Man looking like they did it would in real life. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. And for anybody that's not familiar with Alex Ross's uh, method, he that's it is basically he uses a shit ton of photo reference. Yeah, he, he goes out. The, he, he takes the photo reference himself. Yep. He you know finds people that that look similar, you know, close enough to the characters he wants to portray. Gets them in studio, does a shit ton of photography on them, and then uses that as reference for the the finished pieces. Yeah, he is the guy that taught me, even though I've never met him. But he's the guy that taught me that like tracing and all this stuff that you can do to get your page done. It doesn't matter as long as the page looks good at the end. And yeah. Alex Ross <laughs> is like 100% like that guy. He's like, everything's photo reference within an inch of its life. I use 3D models now to build stuff out more accurately. As long as the painting is good and looks good at the end, nobody fucking cares how you get there. You how know you got you? there. Yeah. Tra- yeah. yeah, just trace like higher models, do this, that, and the other thing. And that, that's like, if you've seen my work. Like, it doesn't look like Alex Ross's, but the photo reference, that's where I got that from, was, like, seeing the making of of these, like, in Wizard Magazine, because this is back in the day when Wizard Magazine covered (laughs) this shit like crazy. They did specials on Marvel's and then eventually Kingdom Come, where they showed Alex Ross's process, and it was, like, kind of a revelation to me after spending years and years and years listening to everybody be like, you have to learn the Loomis method and, like, learn construction and all this other stuff. And then there's this other guy who does these beautiful paintings that everybody in the industry is envious of. And he's like, no, it's all photo reference. I trace everything. Like everything is photo referenced and light boxed and this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, motherfucker, (laughs) here we go. You know? So yeah, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful art. And it's, I guess now it's a little different because you're seeing it in a post MCU world where we've seen all these characters in like, 4k ultra hd super realistic special effects and stuff but in 1995 like i didn't have a real idea of what the human torch would look like in real life and this is a pretty good and like artistic impression of that kind of thing and like how would spider-man's aren't like outfits sit on him real realistically like you 
didn't this the kind of thing you didn't really get a chance to think about alex ross made you fucking think about it like that's how good this art is so i don't know like he does everything really well like even yeah. his layouts are good so it's like well, it's not like anything to critique it's just like it's such a different and especially in 1995 or 1994 was such a different style that we'd never seen before that like it's like it's really worth just kind of even if you don't read the fucking dialogue and just flip through the book and look at the paintings like it's yeah. a beautiful book to look at i still wish they'd done an app like they don't have like this is marvel and absolute editions are a dc thing this is a book i wish they would do like an absolute style edition of there's annotate there's an annotated edition yeah which i have but it's yeah. it's it's standard size like it's not oh, plus yeah. size like an absolute edition that's what i'm at like because i have uh kingdom come and I actually, I even bought that Justice, Injustice, or whatever that book was that he did. In, Justice, yeah. Yeah, in Absolute Justice, Edition. Yeah. Even though, yeah, just because I like looking at his paintings. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, it, you touched on, like, the layouts in particular. Um, I love the, like, when he does those, like, full bleed pages that yeah. have, like, pan- a few panels, like, spread throughout them kind of thing. He uses that really effectively. Yeah, there was I I did have a couple little bits where I found some like rookie jank in his page layouts where like oh, he's yeah. like where he was leading you like top left, top right, and then like middle right. And then you had to go back to like slightly below middle right, middle left to read. And I was like, oh, that's fucking who the fuck let that slide. But <laughs> yeah, at, at that point, the the thing is, even early unpolished, like Alex Ross, like art and layouts is like just beautiful it's, to look at compared yeah. to your run of the mill, just classic pencil and ink drawn comic art. And it's yeah. in part because it's different, but it's different in a really just captivating way. Yeah. 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 We, we've, we, everybody spent years trying to figure out how he fucking did all this stuff <laughs> after the fact. Like, yeah. so, he, you know, there's no doubt that he does excellent character work, excellent expressions, that sort of thing. Yeah. But I especially love when they let him loose to do those like big, impactful splash pages, like quite literally splash pages, like in that first issue where you've got Namor fucking le- launching Flooding, a tidal yeah. wave on, on Manhattan. Manhattan. Yeah. 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 I remember that was the one I remember seeing that for the first time and being like, man, painted comics. This is fucking cool. You know what I mean? Like, it, that's a different thing to deal with. And I, yeah, that, that that painting, and there's one in particular, and it's a couple pages later, they show the invaders uh, attacking like a Nazi stronghold, or like, I think it's the last page of the issue. Yeah. And it's Captain America and Bucky and everybody like parachuting in. And it's just like, yeah, you've never seen, sh- we didn't see shit like this in 1995. It's mind blowing to look at like this yeah. kind of stuff. So, and I love the way that he draws cap in particular, like where you can like really tell that that shirt is like scale mail. Yeah, the, ch- the chain so mail good. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I also like I, his cap reminds me a lot of his Superman where he's just like the idealized broad shouldered uh, strong man looking like he doesn't look cut the way like they would draw him now. Like he's like a uh, what do you call it? Like he does CrossFit or something like that. Oh, yeah. He looks like he's just a big power lifter. Like he's a big fucking like brawler kind of guy. And I always like his Superman and, and his cap for that because they're these they look like big just powerful men not like like bodybuilders they just look like big fucking strong dudes yeah so i also like the fact that he never fucking painted namor with anything on he basically painted him (laughs) naked the entire time yeah yeah made me laugh (laughs) 
and that he and the fact that he's clearly using Patrick Stewart as the model for Xavier. Yeah. Well, well there's a couple well, before the first X Men movies. He just yeah. basically gave him like bushy eyebrows. Yeah, Said, Here, yeah. Here's here's Captain Picard with bushy eyebrows. That's that's fucking Xavier. Xavier. Yeah. Well, and I like to be to be fair, like that was Xavier back then too. Was like the bushy eyebrows was the only thing he really had to add to Patrick Stewart to make him a perfect Xavier. So yeah. And like, let's be honest, like that was fan casting that people had been talking about since Star Trek: The Next Generation premiered. I remember people talking about X-Men movies and being like, well, they have to get Patrick Stewart for this in 1991. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we all thought this shit like almost immediately. Cause he'd be perfect. He's perfect for the fuck. He was perfect for the fucking role. Yeah. And like even Alex Ross, obviously three years later would say that, <laughs> you know, there you go. Paint it yeah. in. What else in terms of the art? Uh, he, de- there was definitely, he definitely had a lot of fun with the art. It was, there was, there was some self-indulgence in here and unrestrained oh, yeah. self-indulgence in some cases, like the, the Reed Richards, Sue Storm wedding. He fucking like threw in the Beatles and Dick Van Dyke. And I'm sure that there were other like Marvel personalities in there that I totally missed as well. Yeah. <laughs> The in the wedding in particular, I'm trying to think of what what I like about the wedding is they they show in the I think his painting is a cutout of Captain America and not the actual Captain America, because there's like a little bit of a a flip in the in the story where he's supposed to be at the wedding, but they hadn't uniced him yet. Oh, actual continuity. So like he paints them as a as a cardboard cutout as opposed to actually being at the wedding because he hadn't. It was like he gets pulled out of the ice. In Avengers number five, and this that wedding happened like around Avengers number three or something like that. <laughs> so he wasn't quite out of the ice yet, or like he they pulled him out, but he wasn't awake yet, or something like that. I don't know how it was supposed to work. You could read the annotated version of this book and probably get that exact information, but there is like a, a weird thing about the wedding in Captain America. And then I'm pretty sure he, I mean, it he fucking like clearly drew clark lois and jimmy olsen in the background of that new year's oh, Eve yeah. party scene, yeah. scene too and i think uh, i read later they they uh julia schwartz who's a dc comics editor is in there as well uh they're at they're at the wedding they're at the press conference at the beginning of something like they're they're, they're, they're in uh marvel's number zero which is the which they released after the fact which was the the human torch like self narrated kind of stuff oh yes 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 yeah, they're yeah. in that yeah they're at, the, they're at the beginning of that yeah that's right yeah. they're in the press conference there they show up a couple times a couple dc people kind of pop up because his dad pops up who was a character in kingdom come also yeah a couple times oh it was that yeah because i definitely saw him um that was yeah. a, uh, Nor- the guy the character model for norman mckay yes yeah that was uh, uh ross's dad also uh the 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 wextry wextry kid at the beginning is like clearly billy batson in the gold rimmed sweater and stuff like that oh yeah. yeah yeah and he's like and got like alex ross fucking obsessed with captain marvel or Shazam <laughs> or whatever you want to call him he's um, still so. captain marvel yeah what else uh i i love like ross is great at playing these huge fucking or portraying these huge epic grandiose characters so like his sentinels and his galactus were both yeah. fucking just ep- just amazing that the the shot that, that was on the original cover of giant man is my favorite in terms of like how he handles like doing the fisheye and the scale and all that kind of oh, stuff yeah. but yeah. like yeah the, the galactus stuff is fucking awesome galactus never looked more imposing than mm-hmm. he does in an alex ross painting um, it's, he even makes the purple cause... shit look good like well, exactly ridiculous outfit but like he looks cool as shit i even like the way like they frame up the x-men where like because like it's just the cast light from cyclops's visor everything gets turned into this like blood red situation so he really like he's really good at playing some of these things 
like color grading them or something like that to kind of indicate a mood or to tone down some of the silliness of the costumes, like in Galactus's case or like that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, Galactus is a character that in the comics, especially in his early appearances, if you go back and look at him, you're like, all right, I was supposed to take this guy seriously as like a fucking like galactic level threat. Yeah. You know, this guy in his bright ass purple long johns kind of thing. And, but you know, fucking Ross makes that, that shit look imposing. That's and that he does it kind of with everything. Like we haven't talked at all about like his Spider-Man, his Spider-Man looks fucking creepy compared to most. He draws him at night all the time. He's in the traditional original black outfit. Like it's not, it's black and red. Not, there's not a lot of blue on there. If he does use blue, it's to highlight more than anything. It's usually a kind of a flat black outfit, which I've always preferred. Like I, the, when he switched into that black outfit at the end of Far From Home, I was like, oh, man, that's the perfect Spider-Man outfit because it's the original. <laughs> he's supposed to be creepy. He's a, he's named after a spider, guys. Like, it's supposed to be a weird looking costume. So black and red is looks really good. He makes his Spider-Man look really good. His I like I we didn't get very much Spider-Man in this, though. Well, no, but that's I mean, that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, his Spider-Man works for me on a level above everything else because everything else just looks frumpy at that point. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he draws everything like they're wearing real clothes. And I'm always like, <laughs> oh, this doesn't look quite as majestic as I would like it to. But <laughs> Spider-Man looks fucking baller in these. Like his Spider-Man and Superman always work for me. So yeah. whereas like I'll have like bitchiness about like I hate his Wolverine or I hate his Batman or this, that and the other thing. But like Superman, Spider-Man thumbs up boys yeah and and yeah uh and some of those spreads of the fantastic four and silver surfer batting battling galactus are just so so nice yeah there's like yeah the splash page of the sentinels and then like all the splash pages and like big like splashy panels of uh especially the like silver surfer fighting galactus or um what was the frame i was thinking of even when they show the sky on fire like he paints the sky on fire yeah and it's that double page like spread and they're giving you the news across the bottom like it's fucking cool because when you see it in the original comic it's just like oh like a flame in the middle of like a little square box right And like the sky's on fire it's like oh you just colored the sky orange as opposed to coloring (laughs) it blue whereas like ross really like paints it in red and like he bathes the whole scene in like yellow cast and like yeah all the all of the windows and shit are reflecting this like red light and stuff it looks it looks fucking terrifying i don't know it's just beautiful so yeah and then like the i mean this is definitely a story with a lot of it's propelled mostly by the emotion of this vehicle character phil What's his Sheldon? Name? Phil Sheldon, uh, photographer, and and just some of the human emotion that Ross is able to catch in uh, Phil's face, and also in some of the other characters' faces, like that is, in some ways, just as impressive as those massive splash pages. Yeah, yeah. His the subtlety of the acting from the like from the drawn art is pretty impressive. Like he's very good at capturing subtle expressions. You know what I mean? Like subtle emotion and that kind of stuff. And it's all body language and all this other stuff that you have to get good at as an artist. Yeah. And he's, again, he's just showing off. You know what I mean? Like he's, <laughs> he's better than everybody. He fucking knows it. Cause every page, like you can feel the emotion coming off the characters and stuff. Like you can see, almost see the veins popping out of J. Jonah Jameson's fucking forehead when he's yelling about Spider-Man in that last issue and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the other things I wanted to note while we're talking about the art is that this is even for me who does not have that much 
that much knowledge of classic Marvel comics. I could pick out just tons of classic Marvel covers and, and panels that they were paying homage to. Yeah. Um, like even that uh, initial cover is the cover to, is that, is it just Marvel comics? Number one, the one that has the human torch coming out of that. Uh, like, I think it I might, it might be. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. And, and, and even just like classic arc, like there's that fucking homage to Nighthawks at one point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like that's, I, I think, and, and it's something that like Ross talks about because of his process being so kind of arduous and like time consuming that he has the time to go back into these pages and add little references and make sure that everything's super tight. And like, mm. if he's adding photos to the background or something like that, he can throw, you know, even more references and stuff like that into, to the point where like he even criticizes himself. Like there's a shot of <laughs> like Jackie O and John Kennedy in here that he just put through in the background and he's like i'm a fucking douche i keep put her in the outfit she was wearing in dallas oh you know what i mean i was like yeah. oh yeah that's a shitty move good work alex <laughs> you know well it's the sort of thing too where like it definitely it comes across as indulgent but yeah. it's executed so well that you just don't yeah. give a shit yeah, like it's basically. the sort of thing that if any other artist did it you'd be like all right like you're just fucking toying with this like the, and yeah. it's just it's just distracting but because he's so skilled i at least am more than willing to overlook it most of the time yeah, yeah there's not anything in here in terms of like references or anything like that that bugs me i'm like no this is all fine because like he's obviously these are two masters getting into their groove like when you really look at this book at the end of the day and it's it's just like just go along for the fucking ride and like enjoy i don't know i just love that feeling of reading this book because it's like the feeling of being in the middle of the mcu or the 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 616 of the marvel universe at its like nascent point too or like a couple of its big nascent points anyway and no i just love it because i marvel's home so you get to like wander through and you get to see Spider-Man and you get to see Galactus and all this other shit and it never looked better. And it's probably never going to look better until you see it on screen <laughs> at some point. So yeah, we'll get to Galactus eventually, you know, it'll be, <laughs> it'll be like a decade from now, but we'll yeah. get there. <laughs> when somebody finally does a decent fucking fantastic forward movie. Oh, it's going to be coming, you know, <laughs> assuming, assuming Feige makes it through the coronavirus, we should be okay. <laughs> Just got to get there. Yeah. See, all right. Well, that's. I think we've we've more than uh, jerked off Alex Ross in terms of that <laughs> art. Uh, let's let's start talking a little bit more in terms of story. So we've already kind of alluded to this is a story where it's sort of told from the point of view of this audience vehicle character, Phil Sheldon, who's a photographer that sort of becomes obsessed with these marvels, which is where the name of the story comes from. These powered being superheroes doesn't really know how to handle them. You know, doesn't know how to process them and it's you know he's kind of this representation of the public unconscious at that point like what the hell do we do with the knowledge that beings this powerful exist in our world how does that change my existence how do i come to grips with this new paradigm yeah exactly this yeah exactly so i like the uh, that idea i like the idea of a world coming to grips with the existence of these beings with fantastic abilities it's an interesting pov it's definitely something that i don't think we'd had much of by the mid 90s it's something we have a lot more of these days yes and i think that because of this book we have a lot of that kind of stuff coming through yeah this is the first time i remember reading a book and really being like it really puts the profoundity of like what these kinds of beings could do to your world you know what i mean like yeah like all of a sudden they're dealing with a single human sized thing that can tear a building down on its own. You know what I mean? Like when Namor shows up and they have to like, kind of like 
you have to wrap your fucking brain around that. And like, it kind of puts you in the mindset where you're thinking about like, yeah, what would that be like? Like where, I mean, we have enough random horse shit that we're dealing with on earth right now as it is, but like throw in some angry dude out of the sea who can knock over the, like, you know, like basically pull a nine 11 without a plane. You know what I mean? For all yeah. intents and purposes. How do you deal with that? How does the it world has, deal and with has that? no loyalty to any, any existing nation? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So like, like what's, what's that like? Like, how do you deal with that? How do you wrap your fucking brain around that? What's the human experience of that? And like that Marvel's does, I think an excellent job of like kind of answering a lot of those questions. Like eventually you either like put your faith in them or you become J Jonah Jameson and like <laughs> hate Spider-Man for some reason. So, yeah. Well, then I like the way that they played, uh, J- uh, Jonah in this, like, or JJ, like his yeah. reluctance yeah. to embrace superheroes, like right from their first appearance. And it just, you can tell that it's just, you know, it's him, his, his lack of self-confidence ultimately. Yeah, it's, it's almost Lex Luthor-ish. Oh, in I had he- that exact fucking note. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's basically Lex Luthor's motivation, like J. J. Jonah Jameson. I never really thought about it that way because like you never think about J. Jonah Jameson and Lex Luthor at the same time. They're not the same kind of characters at all, right? But I was like, man, they have the same motivation. They're both terrified of what the Superman means to them as humans, yeah. and that makes sense, right? And like, I, we probably it all would be them. a little bit like it's it would scare us if it happened yeah. for real. Like if Superman was real, you'd be like. Well, what the fuck do I matter if that guy can like move the whole planet with his bare hands? Or if he I if he wants me to die, <laughs> I'm dead. Yeah. Like we're dead. You're dead, right? Like <laughs> I'm it's dead just one of the where I can even finish that thought. Yeah, like you don't even get to think it, right? Like he's already eliminated you and your whole family and your entire species because he's yeah. Superman. So like yeah, it's a trippy thing to deal with. And like, I like this story is kind of why I'm obsessed with that question because I read this book when I was a kid and I'm like, oh man, that would be scary actually. Like Galactus coming down or whatever would be like, we read it and we're like, this is an exciting story and I'm having fun because my superheroes are going to deal with it. But like, what's this like in the real world? Scary as shit. So I think this book does an excellent job of kind of conveying that. Yeah. And I mean, and, and you're, you've got, like I said, nail on the head with the comparison to like Luther, especially the like 80s, 90s comic book version of Lex Luthor, uh, where, yeah, he's just uncomfortable, cannot process the idea that beings exist with this kind of with this kind of power. And to the point where both of those characters end up using their influence to try and paint superheroes as a menace. So. They should meet. They should have a crossover. And, meet <laughs> and even even Phil himself has a lot of trouble processing and coming to terms with this um, to the point where in the first uh, issue, which is set in like what 1939, right before World War II. Well, it's in. The, I think it's the early 40s. I think it's like 40, 41 before like, the Americans get into World War II. Uh, I think that I think it spans that. Yeah, it does sp- kind, kind of stretch. Yeah, it does span a little bit because they do eventually get in there because obviously Captain America is involved and stuff like that. But yeah, and they do they do make mention to Pearl Harbor in issue one at some point. Right, but it starts pre-American involvement. I think the war's on, but the Americans aren't involved yet. Cause it took a couple years for yeah them to get their shit together and get over there or whatever. But uh, and then Pearl Harbor happens, and then it's very much more like yeah, and, and like in that issue you can tell well basically phil breaks off his uh, engagement with his fiance because he feels emasculated more or less you know he feels like he can't protect doris yeah. who will eventually become his wife from from these people that are flying around you know with little or no you know, as far as he knows little or no regard for their safety or well-being yeah so. And it's it's a fact that he's introduced to like number of t- like a number of times because of this throughout his life where like he also like the mutant thing starts to happen 
in issue three. And he's like, wait, like his in- initial instinct when he sees that the, his daughters have brought that girl home is are they infected? Like he has that gut yeah. reaction that everybody would have because they don't understand it, right? Like, Which can has they that get... goes of, of like the AIDS epidemic. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's all this stuff where he's having to deal with. I mean, stuff that we're dealing with in real life, but like on top of that, it's an extra layer of like, okay, mutants and, you know, space aliens and yeah. drunk Tony Stark in an Iron Man suit and all this other shit that's going on. Yeah. And one of the lines I think that Busiak sort of walks just really deftly here is I actually end up feeling frustrated, again, as somebody that doesn't know these stories that we're getting these glimpses into, because in most cases, Phil and the rest of the public never understands why these heroes are fighting each other at times, you know, why you've got like the Avengers fighting the X-Men or why you've got the human torch and Namor facing off against each other. Like they get the little bits and stuff that are filtered through news, but in the original stories that these are referencing, you know, you're getting those from the heroes point of well, the heroes quote unquote, you know, the, the, uh, super powered beings point of view. That's, probably exactly how it would feel for the common people is that they would also be frustrated because they're only getting these little pieces of information. They're never getting the full story. So I think that that really helps to immerse you in this story and the, the, the point of view character that you're looking at it yeah. from. And like that kind of stuff has like gets harkened back to you in a lot of Marvel stuff. Cause like, look at the launch or the, the opening of far from home where they're trying to explain like on that news broadcast at the school, what, happened to the like to everybody like this like what was the snap and this that and the other thing nobody really seems to have exactly an idea of what's going on because they just get the news reports right and that's probably a little bit more accurate to what you would really see in the real world was like these superheroes fucked off off planet and defended us from something and then we get to hear their story from them if they decide to tell us and what little news we get and that's it it's kind of a scary world to live in really you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure what else in terms of the writing? I don't know. I, I thought that the writing was was solid. I don't read a lot of Busiek stuff. I, I guess I've read like some of... He's done some Superman stuff that I've yeah. enjoyed, but he doesn't do... He doesn't do a whole lot of uh, DC stuff. No, he's he's worked on my side a little bit more, I think. Well, he's also done that Astro City book on and off with, uh, yes, with, with Alex Ross. Ross for ages as well. That's the only... Which is an excellent book, and you should read. If you've never read Astro City, you should definitely take a look at it. It's, there's a lot there now, but it's some of it's, especially the early stuff, is excellent. Sorry, in this vein, also, we're like the the thinking about like what does it mean to have a Superman around, or like that kind of stuff really comes to the forefront. Or you know, what what would Batman be like in real life? Not great, you know, not, not <laughs> awesome. Not awesome. Yeah, <laughs> not awesome. Um, let's see what else in terms of the story again, as somebody who doesn't know the full tapestry of Marvel characters and history, I felt like I was at a disadvantage at times going into this thing. (laughs) Yeah. This is very much a book where like you get the broad strokes and if you can enjoy those broad strokes, enjoy them. But like, there's a lot of research you can do and like a lot of ancillary reading you can do. And like, I did that ancillary reading. Like I remember when I got the annotated version or even the wizard annotations where they were like, this is a reference to this book. I collected all those books to go early, like found them either by hook or crook online or whatever, just so that I could get like the full context of what this world was. And it led me down a rapid, hole that involved me reading the first five years of every marvel comic every ever published which was a tough project fucking slog it was it's a lot of stan lee you know what i mean so like there's there's fun to be had if you don't mind like the real real like chonky 
kind cheesy, of schlo- cheesy yeah, stuff. Yeah, like the, the schlock that was yeah. Stan Lee and sometimes mm-hmm. it's it is a thing, but it gives you a lot of context for this book. I'm not recommending anybody go and do that because like reading some of those 60s Marvel books can be a bit much these days but and i mean for me being somebody that's so steeped in the dc continuity and i i love that continuity it i that was a little frustrating for me at times being like i know this has to be a reference to something but you know i just don't have the context for it so it is a story that has a lot it does work without that especially (laughs) if unlike me you're able to get past that a little bit more easily um, and just sort of take it at face value but it, it is definitely a story that has a lot of content specific to appeal to not i won't even say marvel fans marvel comics fans at this point because there yeah. is a differentiation right you know there absolutely are people, yeah um and and i'm not saying you know you're not a marvel fan if you don't read the comics by any stretch fucking you do you you enjoy whatever parts of it you want but yeah. there's definitely stuff here that if you've only seen the movies or you've only seen some of the tv shows or shit like that you've only read marvel comics in the past 10 or 20 years even you might not get yeah there's a lot of stuff in here that's like you need some historical context for and like or at least historical context kind of helps i think like the one story that most people will get the least lost in is probably the last issue like because it's just the spider-man story and most people are relatively familiar with gwen stacy yeah so like that story is kind of something that most i i'd assume if you're a spider-man fan you're aware of the gwen stacy situation and i like that one has been been done in a movie yes oh that's yeah that's right Uh, nobody wants to remember it but it was I almost didn't remember it. That part of it, at least, was handled pretty well. I'll take Emma Stone in those go-go boots and shit like that. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> any day of the week. Uh, she really, she did an excellent job in the part. Uh, I really liked her as Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Uh, those movies are so fucking bad. It's hard to even say that. <laughs> where, where they, where they put a blonde in the redhead role and a redhead in the blonde role. They did that in the original trilogy, though, man. Because like Kristen Dunst is a little blonde, and then she plays a redhead, and then they had Gwen Stacy in those fucking movies. Because the third one has uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah. the uber redhead. You know yeah. what I mean? And then they fucking put her in a blonde wig for that movie. <laughs> like I've never. I love Sam Raimi, but I remember seeing that movie and be like, I want to slap the fucking shit out of Sam Raimi right now because he's <laughs> such an idiot. If you'd flipped this the whole time, it would have worked perfectly. Yeah. Kristen Dunst would have been an excellent, excellent Gwen Stacy. Yeah. And Bryce Dallas Howard looks like Mary Jane Watson should fucking look. So, like, yeah. what are we doing here, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, they did it again in Amazing Spider-Man, too, because, like, Emma Stone, famous, famous, famous redhead. Yeah blonde wig dumb <laughs> dumb and they when they cast their mj they cast a redhead there was it was a redheaded girl who was gonna or no sorry a blonde it was a blonde or a brunette girl who was gonna be their mj that they're gonna put in a wig too when they did that and i don't yeah. know i was like oh my god guys like just <laughs> <sighs> and then they i mean obviously now we've got a, a little like i don't know where she's from zendaya so like no. you brunette. know what i mean brunette, but she's definitely. definitely a brunette yeah so like we have a brunette mj yeah, and and I'm okay with that. It's a yep. different take on the character, and if they want to go their own way, at least they're fucking committing, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Saying, I, yeah. And like, are you going to say no to that Zendaya MJ now? She's been, like been the second best character that isn't Spider Man in both those movies now. So like, yeah. well, she's the perfect she's the perfect MJ for Tom Holland Spidey. Absolutely. So, so yeah, perfect foil. Getting back to Marvels, let's see what else I have. The X Men Civil Rights analogy was 
definitely there. It I was, mean, it's definitely it was the beating you over the fucking the nose. With it. <laughs> yeah, but like that's that's the X Men, really. Yeah, like and especially the sixties X Men. It was not like a a steeped analogy or anything like that. It <laughs> no. was very like it was very on the face of it, <laughs> on the face of it. You know, like yeah, it's it pretty bald faced in terms well, of like where that analogy. And it had to be. It's first of all, it's comic books, and second of all, you know. We're still having problems with racism yeah, fucking true. 40 years later. So obviously the message of the fucking X-Men maybe needs to be a little bit more fucking slamming you in the goddamn face. So. <laughs> but at one point, Phil, this vehicle character in his internal monologue literally refers to the X-Men as the quote unquote dark side of the Marvels. I was like, get it? Dark? Dark? Like black people are dark? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, oh wait. Kurt, Kurt, you could have probably dialed it back a couple notches on that one. A little bit, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, like, if he's trying to make sure people get the fucking point, which, again, look around you, nobody got the point. So, like, <laughs> it's true. This I don't know. True. Maybe he needed to say it a little bit more blatantly than that, even. <laughs> the other thing that there's obvious, we've already talked about uh, Kingdom Come being sort of sort of the dc equivalent of this story it's like, like a spiritual dc successor to this yeah, book kind yeah, it, of, ca- yeah. it came out two years after this uh written by mark wade instead of kurt busiak but doesn't really tell a t- basically tells the opposite story it tells the future a potential future of the dc universe rather than the history of the dc universe alex ross did go and do one of those also at marvel called earth x eventually yes. and it was it, uh did a he slog yeah did he i think he did character designs for that i don't know if he wrote anything in it i don't know i think he helped do like the character breakdowns and stuff like that with yeah i don't know who who did he write that with i can't remember anymore Mm. this is why we have the internet earth x i did 1999 was it really 1990 i don't know it was like three maxi series with like different like it was jim kruger art and all this other stuff it was Earth, Earth X, Universe X, and Paradise X, and it was... Oh, Jim Kruger and Alex Ross wrote it, along with John Paul Leon, who penciled, it looks like, the first, at least the first Earth X series. I know there's, I think it was three 12-issue series, Earth. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you, Ross, the Ross did the covers. Yes, he did do the or covers. Some, some of the covers, it looks like, at least, but... yeah, uh, I think he did them all. I'm pretty sure I had all those, like, yeah. covers, like, as pieces up in my room and stuff like that when i was a kid so well there, i mean there's definitely some some back and forth you know there's obvious influence from one to the other here like yeah. it's pretty clear that dc hired on alex ross and said we want you to work on a project that has a lot of the same themes and stuff like that as marvels but we want you to do it with dc characters kind of yeah. thing essentially we want you to blow the silver age just as much as you did in marvels <laughs> and like yeah but make make all these characters older yeah so I mean I'm biased as a DC guy. I think I I prefer Kingdom Come in the in the long run. The art is beautiful in both cases. It's definitely a little more developed in Kingdom yeah, Come. Being a Kingdom Come is later. way more like the Alex Ross that I picture in my head. Like that style kind of stuck with him for a while. He got he hit a point in the early 2000s, or like maybe it was the late 2010 or like aughts or whatever, where he wanted to suddenly decided he needed to tighten his style up. So that as he aged, it wouldn't loosen up too much. Because most people, as they get older, their style kind of loosens up a little bit. Yeah. And uh, he wanted to tighten it up before that happened. Um, so that as he as he did loosen up, he'd still be incredibly tight with his style and stuff like that. I think he may have done it, overdone it a little <laughs> bit. Because the only thing we haven't really talked about is the epilogue at this point. Which is like, they just did in the last couple of years. Or like we'll get to year. that. I want to talk more about Kingdom Come first. 
<laughs> All right, we can talk about King of Kong. At some point, at some point, we got to do a King of Kong episode as well. Oh no, we'll do the King of Kong absolutely. Once, once we've laid off DC for a while, but yeah, I mean, I, I imagine part of the art difference between the two is that. DC probably saw Marvels and was like, take all the fucking time you want yeah, to do Kingdom Come. There's probably a bit of that too. Yeah, absolutely. So he just had more time to to put more detail into it and that kind of thing. Yeah. I know I could so. see some pages in here where I'm definitely like, oh yeah, he was he was rushing some of this stuff because it's just like it's like the base coat and that's kind of it. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Thing. So which But is I mean, fun. both of the stories try to, you know, show consequences uh and like the real life toll of super heroics on everyday people so there's definitely parallels there I, literally when i was reading marvels i was not aware that this was before kingdom come i was i thought maybe he was like working on them in parallel or something like that mm, okay so but i i kind of before i actually looked up when marvels was written i kind of decided that i figured marvels probably came first because it is a little bit more kind of raw yeah. Uh, it, but it honestly, it works. That style, I think, works for the story for me because Marvel is a little more ground level than DC's more like grandiose epic storytelling style to begin with. And you mm-hmm. know, that's not a, a slight on either. That's just the way that those two yeah. uh, companies and universes work. So I thought it kind of worked. I have to say that I, I can't help but see Marvel's a little bit as an attempt to copy DC's more generational like legacy of characters. Whereas like Marvel has usually you've already said like Marvel has like yeah. this sliding scale timeline kind of thing. And they are always very hesitant to introduce legacy characters. I think that's become less now than it is was then. I think now yeah. we've got to the like the Miles Morales layer where like we've got yeah. a second Spider-Man and there is another Captain. Yeah, yeah we've, got another- a, we've got a Peter Parker that's in his 30s kind of thing. Yeah. Or, or, and like yeah. we've got like, and we've got like we've had different Captain Americas and there's like Ironheart and all that kind of stuff happening now. Like, but yeah, I think at, at this point in time, Marvel was more like we have the characters that we like and are, we're going to work with. And they didn't feel like they wanted to do like I, I get not wanting to move away from the characters that you made famous. You know what I mean? And like that's part of the problem. Like sometimes I have with DC, whereas like I grew up on Wally West Flash. Yeah, I fucking hate Barry Allen. Like, and not because I hate him, but I just find his character complete. Like, I don't relate to his character at all because I didn't grow up fucking reading him the way I grew up reading Wally. So I find that shit really frustrating in DC on the DC side of stuff. Like, I'm a big Tim Drake Robin fan. And like, there's points in continuity recently where he wasn't even considered a real fucking Robin. And I'm like, that's that's insulting to me. You know what I mean? As somebody who read Batman through those 10 years where he was Robin, like he was just fucking Robin. And I'm like, that's annoying to me. Whereas, like, they, they're never going to say Steve Rogers was never Captain America or whatever because <laughs> of continuity reboot or what have you. They may say he was a Hydra. Yeah, I was going to say, wait, wait, didn't they do that? Um, but, like, I mean, that was, <laughs> there's all kinds of horse shit that comic books do that that, that kind of shit happens, right? But, like, yeah. I don't know. I just, there's, there's little bits and pieces about how the, each universe works that I really like. And there's bits and pieces about each universe that I fucking can't stand. Like, there's stuff in the Marvel side, like, yeah. I don't give a shit about the cosmic stuff like guardians of the galaxy in the comics fucking don't care at all. Even fantastic <laughs> four that we talk about, like we're going to make, get a movie, blah, blah, blah. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like there's not a book I read on a regular basis. Yeah. If it's not Spider-Man or Batman or the X-Men really like I'm kind of in and out. I'm more of an Avengers guy now than I've ever been because of the movies and like the Avengers became the popular book in the early two thousands to read That's Bendis and, the guys from the ultimate universe jumped ship and moved over to the six one six. But like, yeah, but, I don't know. It's, it's weird. 
think think about this you're in an editorial meeting at marvel in like yeah. say 93 when they're planning marvels sure you're you're looking across the street at dc you're looking at fucking like death of superman and night nightfall and night quest and everything fucking selling like hotcakes and yep. you're thinking like how can we get a piece of that how can we you know start you know obviously people are loving dc right now teacher we... I, have, I have an answer marvel <laughs> fucks this so hard it's called age of apocalypse and <laughs> and the clone saga yeah but i mean i i could see this being, up. <laughs> i could see this being part of it as well right they'd yeah, be like yeah. hey we have the like dc has these great uh generational characters you know they've got that jsa first generation of characters and then this justice league second generation of characters can we do a story that sort of introduces something like that for marvel yeah i, yeah. I can see that being feasible and like that's kind of how they they've always had because they have the invaders right or whatever they want to call the defenders or whatever they like the captain america no more namor Human Torch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, team that they mm-hmm. show in the first issue of Marvels was kind of their proto JSA kind of team. They just don't play it up the way that Marvel does. Where like for the some way, reason the DC, DC, sorry, the way DC does, where for some reason these people are still alive in 2020 and operating. You know what I mean? Like most of those characters don't operate anymore. Namor is immortal because he's Atlantean, and Captain America is immortal because he got a bunch of steroids shot into him. Yeah, yeah he got super serum shot into him. Whereas like the entire JSA is apparently just immortal at this point. Like there's so many characters that just don't age in the JSA that it almost makes no sense to me. I love those characters and I love that book. But like those people should be dead. <laughs> yeah. They, I, they, they do go back and I mean, they say like, Oh, there was mystical, you know, they were exposed to magical energy or something that prolonged their lives. And, you know, they'll do whatever they can at yeah, times absolutely. to bring those characters back. And I mean, I'm, I'm, they're coming back uh, shortly. Well, they just I'm, come back. Uh, yeah, they did. Um, they they don't have like their own series or anything yet. Although mm-hmm. I think that there may have just been one announced. I'm not sure about that. But uh, yeah, I, I'm very much hoping to see more of them because they have just been kind of reintroduced into the DC continuity. Cool. Let's see what else. I do. I have a couple like minor gripes. Uh, one store. I have one art gripe and one writing gripe. Art wise. Some of those cheesy old Silver Age Marvel costumes do not transfer well to to Ross's style. No, but I would argue that a lot of like DC costumes, oh, yeah. period, don't translate to his style either. <laughs> so like, I think there's some costumes definitely need to be, and I, it's one of my criticisms of Alex Ross overall is that he's so behooven to what actually was on the page that he does nothing to really like improve or streamline it to make or it adapt better. It. Yeah, yeah, or adapt it to his style. Like, it's my big gripe with his Batman is like he just draws him like a dude in a bunch of cloth and i'm like <laughs> could you just make it look like kevlar or like he's wearing some kind of armor or something because like a dude in a cloth cape looks really fucking ridiculous in 2020 like he <laughs> yeah. should look like he's in armor or something like that and i agree completely agree like the fantastic four costumes are fucking goofy as shit oh the one the ones that killed me were scarlet witch with that stupid oh, fucking God. headpiece yeah and the green quicksilver the costume that existed for like two issues or something like that oh, finally yeah. flipped the blue and uh and banshee his wolverine oh yeah but the, the wolverine in costume there's a there's a shot and i don't think it's actually in marvels i think it's something he, like in in the collection of stuff they put in the back of the trade that i was reading mm. had like a bunch of paintings that he had done for marvel after the fact and there's a clear shot of like the Claremont era X-Men with Wolverine at the forefront, obviously. And it just looks awful, like just <laughs> awful. Uh, it takes all the things that I hate about his Batman 
and accentuates them even more on a Wolverine costume, so which means it's bright yellow and blue on top of everything else. So it just looks terrible. But <laughs> I'm not Alex Ross, so I guess I can't. I, sh- I really shouldn't shit in like the 500 pound gorilla's mouth. But <laughs> oh man, you're Wolverine and you're Batman, Alex. I just don't know. I just wish I liked them more. So <laughs> yeah, you know. So that's on the art side. On the writing side, in the end, like f- fucking Phil just waffles back and forth this whole goddamn story yeah yeah and like it's even worse in the sequel because he got back and forthing in the sequel i actually read the sequel like eye of the beholder today oh i i uh no can't eye the camera or whatever i think it's eye of the beholder either way whatever it's called it don't bother it's fucking terrible like it's just like <laughs> the art's not great and like the writing's so so and like that he dies and shit it's fucking miserably depressing it's like you know what i don't want to deal with any of this stuff but even so. just looking at these four issues, then the epilogue, which we'll talk yeah. about shortly, I, I don't know that Phil even had that much fucking character growth by the end of this whole thing. No, <laughs> I think like he's not he's not afraid of the Marvels anymore, which I guess is kind of like the, the through line of the story where like his fear every time that he's introduced to a new group of these guys, with the exception of Captain America, he just starts actively shitting his pants. Yeah, he starts freaking out about like the consequences of this thing. The only one is literally Captain America, where him and everybody else who sees captain america apparently is in love with captain america you know what i mean which i guess would i guess if you in my head if it's chris evans running around i i, I get it i get it i'm in love with captain america too so there you go i want like a uh, an alternate universe story where captain america like that's his power is that he can manipulate the way that people see him yeah like that's, people that's just all love him they, they see him yeah. and just get gooey in the under like in the undercarriage or whatever because like he's captain america yeah. and he looks like chris evans which i mean like if that's who is supposed, I'm supposed to picture in my head is Captain America, and then they're telling me like everybody just adores this guy and like he's the most handsome man on the planet, I'm like, yeah, okay, that can accept that. Like that <laughs> that makes realistic sense to me. So. That's it's, it's America's ass. Just yeah, it's it is America to... <laughs> exactly America's ass. God, that line almost broke me in the theater when he said that. Like, that is America's ass. That is Fuck. America's ass. It's fucking perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh do you have anything to say about the original series you would want to jump forward to the epilogue here uh no i just like if if you're a marvel person go i mean this is kind of final thought stuff but like if i had like i guess i'm trying to think if i have any gripes per se with this book yeah alex ross gets better <laughs> yeah. which is really kind of something to say uh when you go and look at this book kurt Busiek, i think has gotten better also this yeah i don't know i don't really have anything like to gripe about per se this is one of those books that like i picked up really young when i started reading and kind of became like the gold standard for me this and kingdom come just because they were alex ross painted books i was like that's prestige shit i can't even like you don't get to critique that kind of stuff that's like masterpiece stuff like shut up you just shut up (laughs) when you talk about those so yeah yeah all right well let's uh let's jump up um we did mention that there's sort of this epilogue that came out just last year the 25th anniversary of the original marvel story it was marvel's miniseries uh, i was also the 80th anniversary of marvel comics as a whole yeah. and so they brought back uh, alex ross and kurt busiak to do just like a little 16 page epilogue basically that's set um i think sort of maybe five years after like late late 70s it's like yeah, 79 it, or something like that it would be like probably like late 70s early 80s kind of uh, era because it looks like the the when when when, the, when did the oh you know what you can find out when the giant size x-men happen <laughs> well, it was uh, th- this actual scene uh, that it came from is uh, was in X Men ninety eight, uh, which okay. is yeah, which seventy five would have been around seventy five because it's before X Men ninety four, 
Okay. And, and X-Men 98, which actually has the scene that yeah. this uh, comic is based in, was April 1976. Yeah, so Giant Size, yeah. So Giant Size came out in 75, and then like 94 was the next month, and then I guess 95, 96 would have been a couple months later. But this is, yeah, it was right after the introduction of what has become kind of referred to as the Chris Claremont X-Men, right? Like the, uh, the Wolverine Storm team, and Wolverine. And yeah. yeah. It's the Wolverine X-Men, basically, really. Uh, Storm, <laughs> X-Men, or uh, Storm, oh, Jesus, X-Men, Storm and X-Men, because, like, Wolverine just is X-Men in my head. Uh, Storm, Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler. I think at early on, Tomahawk's in there, or is it Tomahawk? What's that guy's? Oh, Thunderbird. Sorry. Wow, that's the wrong character. Thunderbird is one of the additions who leaves eventually along with Sunfire and Banshee. Yeah. Because the original team's been kidnapped or some fucking... Marvel horseshit or something like that. So they put a new team together. Yeah. So yeah, this is this is 25 years later, and basically uh, Phil and his daughters sort of reminiscing in Rockefeller Center at around Christmas time, and uh, all of the X Men are there. That you know, again, this is taken directly from this story in uh, X Men '98, but it's showing it from f- the point of view of Phil and his daughters rather than the point of view of the X Men. And some Sentinels show up at the top of like 30 Rock. You know, the yeah, building 30 Rockefeller SNL, place, yeah. yeah, which is the building where SNL and everything is filmed. And yeah, and uh, holy shit, is it jarring to go from Alex Ross art from 1994 to Alex Ross in 2019? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which like, and the cover of it too is kind of funny because like it shows Jean like phoenixing out and like she doesn't really do that no. in the issue either, which is kind of weird. She doesn't even appear cover. in the fucking issue. Well, she's in there because if is you she? flip past. I so thought her and Scott are in the are in in Thirty Rock for this. No splash page. If you open this, the, it's the second page of the the story. There's the big shot of Rockefeller Center that he painted all the way up, which is fucking mind blowing. Like it's just so good. Oh yeah, um, it shows her in 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 her the and, distance. Yeah, yeah. Her and, no, no, no. They're right in the middle at the front. In the like, it's her and Slim right there behind Wolverine oh, next okay. to Storm. That's because yeah. uh, that's got to be Scott because he's got the red fucking glasses on. So right. the redhead next to him is Jean. Aurora is next to her, and then that's Colossus, the big dude, and that would be, um, I think that's Forge, actually, the dude with the mustache. Yeah, hmm. that would make sense. It would be Forge, and then Iceman has got the earmuffs on. Yeah, um, and that's Wolverine, obviously, because if you don't recognize Wolverine, <laughs> also note the uh, the Nick Fury cameo going on in the, uh, which is real convenient there. But again, yeah. it was in the original issue. They had yep. fucking yeah. Yeah, that was that was real convenient that Nick Fury just happened to be at Rock, Rockefeller Center at the same time as the X Men, and that Doc and that Doctor Doom just so happened to be having a nice skate. Yeah. on the. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be somebody in a costume. I, I would assume that's not the real Doctor Doom, unless that's why Nick Fury's there, and we just don't know. I don't know, but <laughs> it's pretty. I mean, I guess if a Sentinel t- attack's going to happen, the Shield guys are going to be aware of it, right? So, like, there's a reason for Nick to be there. You're stretching. I am absolutely. I just like seeing Nick Fury around. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not even really Nick Fury because I barely consider white Nick Fury to be Nick Fury anymore. I'm all Sam Jackson, Nick Fury. That's ultimate, ultimate Fury, right? So Uh, he's he's there is a black Nick Fury in 616 now. Like, I'm pretty sure. I think it's like his son or adopted something or other or whatever. Some ridiculous thing. Black clone or some shit. Yeah, I maybe it's a black. (laughs) I don't know if they would go with that. That's fucking there'd be some people getting yelling at them if they did like black clone, you know, but. It's it's probably not too fucking far off that. So yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, this is super jarring. Like the art actually, you know what? I just noticed Chris Reeve. I don't know what page this is of this, but it's like right before the attack starts. Chris Reeve is the the guy standing. Oh yeah, yeah, de- de- definitely. Uh, Clark and Lois are in this. Yeah, team. Clark and Lois and there are, are again show up again. Yeah, uh, in another Marvel comic. 
it's indulgent as shit, but like yeah. whatever. I'm you know I'm, I'm I'll take as many cases of Alex Ross painting DC characters I can get, even if it's in a fucking Marvel book. Yeah, I like. I just wish I like this storm painting is beautiful. That's all oh, I really yeah. have to say about it is like the, the painting looked like is so much better than what you get in the old book. Like it is very jarring to go from like yeah. what he was doing in like at, at the beginning of his career versus like how fucking skilled he is as an illustrator now yeah so. there, there's just so much detail and finesse and and i think that i have a feeling that ross wanted to take a crack back at some of those some of those images again well that big splash that page, big yeah. two-page yeah. splash page is like almost entirely made up of shots you know they're like phil's pictures or whatever but yeah. they're almost entirely some of the most iconic panels from the original 25 year old series so i feel like Ross, I, he's definitely somebody that is, you know, sort of self-deprecating, self-effacing, like pretty critical of his own work. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, if you ever like read any of his pieces, you know, any interviews or anything like that with him, so I feel like he kind of wanted to take another crack at some of that. Like, his probably there's probably been some stuff that he's been like looking at for 25 years, being like, "Fuck, I know I could do that better if I got another shot at it." Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that. Like, that's 90 percent of art is like looking back at the stuff you did and be like, "I can do that fucking better now." You know what I mean? Like, I do it all yeah. the time. Like, every time I draw a new Batman, I'm like, "Man, this is better than the last one I did." So improvement yeah. that's like how you kind of it's almost part of how you develop is just drawing the same shit over and over again so you can see where you're improving or where you need to improve and yeah he absolutely i like because like the the one piece of art that i remember being like oh that doesn't look great is the the shots of namor in the tv cameras mm-hmm. and he blatantly puts that like front and center on that redrawn page and it's like pitch perfect this time as opposed to being a little loose where yeah. it was before so yeah. yeah no i love that last page i like to have that up on my wall basically it's so yeah. good and story-wise i think this ends on a little bit better note than the the original series does the original one ends on like a down note he's really frustrated because he can't get his new book written he's fucking like throwing shit at his tv and stuff like that whereas this one and, and then he fucking goes outside and meets Danny Ketch, the ghost rider of the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> he calls him a nice normal boy. Yeah. And this is going to be a nice normal picture. Like, well, actually, that guy's going to be a demon spawn in like 10 years. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. I mean, it's Marvel Universe. It's the way things happen. So, there you go. But yeah. yeah. And then no, nobody fucking gives a shit about Danny Ketch anymore. <laughs> no. Wasn't that, was, who was the character they used in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Was it not Danny Ketch or was it somebody else? No, he was, he was a Hispanic uh, character. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. So it wasn't Danny. It was uh, Robbie, Robbie not, Ray's. Yeah. But it's not Johnny Plays, right? So it's not that yeah. the original guy. So, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> How many fucking Ghost Riders have there been? I need to know now. At least three. That's three, probably. right? Uh, four, I think. Johnny oh, Blaze, Danny Ketch, Alejandra yeah. Jones, Robbie okay, Ray's. Yeah. Oh, because Frank Castle took over for a little bit, apparently, as well. There's a good use for the Punisher. Make him the fucking Ghost Rider. It's like yeah. when they didn't have anything to do with Hal Jordan, they made him Spectre. There oh, go. no. Well, I mean, there's others, too, because like there's all those historical ghost riders, too, right? Yes, 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 so, yes, yes. yeah. There's, there's cowboy because there was there was and a cowboy ghost rider show in 99 and there's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I think that was kind of everything that I had to say. Do you want to just say kind of give a, a rating and wrap up? Yeah, absolutely. This is this is like nine out of ten Marvel comics for me. So like, if you haven't read this, go pick it up. I don't really care if you see the epilogue or not because it's so vastly different in terms of the art that like, the only thing I really like seeing is him painting Wolverine in plain clothes because it looks good when he's <laughs> painting him without the mask on. But keep the mask off; he looks better without the mask anyway. <laughs> um, no, Marvel's is like this is 
me becoming a comic book reader. This is one of those books that was like super important to me realizing that comics could also be something serious and like something that I would like to do with my time as an adult and all that kind of stuff. Um, because it wasn't like a kid's book, right? It was painted beautifully by Alex Ross. It's written with a lot of heart and a lot of thought into like the real weird questions about like living in a superhero universe and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, by and large, it like, it tells you the story of how, like how we get to a certain point in the Marvel universe. Like that's most of the history um, like the pre-Spider-Man history of Marvel Universe is all in that book. That's kind of all you need to know about like what happened with a lot of these characters before like the modern run of books starts, like in the 60s and stuff. So I highly recommend it. Did I say rating? Nine out of ten, right? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of it too. This is the only one thing we didn't talk about. We talked about Gwen Stacy, but we didn't really talk about it in general. The Gwen Stacy character is generally often kind of forgotten now because like MJ has become the default love interest for Spider-Man, and they kind of forget that stage of him becoming a really important character was also him losing not only uncle Ben, but like also having Gwen Stacy die, like reaffirming his and George Stacy too. Yeah. And George Stacy as well. But I mean, like his girlfriend dying is kind of going to be the problem that really fucks with him. I'm assuming either way, like all those people dying on him is kind of what reaffirms him. Like I have to be Spider-Man like this. This is the great power with comes great responsibility reminder moment, at least for the character for me, like the, the Gwen Stacy death and that kind of thing but this is also just like we don't, you don't get to spend any time with gwen generally speaking and you get to spend some nice time with gwen and she's just like exactly what you want her to be she's the nicest person in the mcu or the 616 or whatever you want to call it and you understand why peter would fall in love with her and why everybody kind of likes her and all that kind of stuff which is not something that comes up in marvel anymore because it's all mj and gwen's been dead for 30 40 years now so but she's an important character in the history of spider-man so i think it's nice that they take the time to like spend the time with Gwen Stacy, not just go do MJ and Spider-Man nonsense. It's that real key moment in Spider-Man's history that they go to. So for me, this is uh, this is an eight out of ten series for me. It's definitely indulgent, but it's so fucking beautiful that it's pretty hard to stay mad at it. Yeah, we get, and the thing is, we just get so little of Alex Ross doing interior art. Especially, yeah, especially now, yeah. especially for Marvel or DC, you know, yeah. the, he's done a lot more for that Astro City book. Yeah. So, I mean, this is essential viewing for any fan of Marvel Comics in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just, you know, sort of hedge that and say, if you're more just a fan of the characters of the MCU or something like that, proceed with caution. Or at least like you just just know what you're getting into. Know that you're yeah. getting into a situation where there's going to be a lot of references. It's not going to fucking hold your hand through it. No, no. In any way. Uh, yeah. It's, there's a lot of dense shit in there that you need to kind of either know or ignore basically. So, or get the annotated version and that way it'll, it'll, the, the, the annotated version will, would walk you through it. So maybe, yeah, maybe that that's it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, if you're a first time reader or, or, you know, not a, a big reader of fucking silver age, Marvel comics and who the fuck is these days? Yeah, then <laughs> yeah, they're rough. So like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then uh, then maybe read the annotated version so that you get more of those those bits of context. Especially if you're like heavy into the history and continuity side of things. If you're not, then maybe you'll be fine with just the the normal version. Yeah. So cool. All right. So with that, we can move on to our final segment, which is Geek Cred, where we just recommend something for y'all to check out that we enjoy. So, Mark, what's your Geek Cred for this week? That Go watch that Ghostbusters thing. Everything is shit in the world right now. So just go watch <laughs> the Ghostbusters thing and have like a little like happy moment thinking about Ghostbusters. Nice. That's kind of it. 
So for me, the, there was something I actually thought about. I, I was considering recommending for Mark to read so that we could uh, talk about it, but it's Batman related and we've done so much Batman stuff lately that figured we need a break from it. But uh, so I'm going to make it as my geek cred instead. I just had to kind of drop Batman's grave. So, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. not super happy about And that's all hitchy too, which is really, I'm really irritated by this whole situation because it's all hitchy Batman too. Yeah, you know, well, so. just just uh, acquire it by means that don't support. I will be stealing, stealing the trade and telling Brian Hitchy how good he is on Twitter is what I will do. There right. you go. <laughs> yeah. So right now we're sort of in the, the, the middle of this slew of 80th anniversaries of Batman related characters because Batman had his 80th anniversary last year yep. and, along with Detective Comics 1000. And a couple weeks ago, we got a story that was or we got a uh, Catwoman's 80th anniversary and they put out like a hundred page special for it. Uh, just this past week, they put out one for the Joker as well. I haven't read the Joker one yet. Uh, I, but saw I, have, it. I grabbed it, but I haven't actually read it yet. So yeah, uh, I got the one that has the, uh, Oh fuck. What's his name? Senkowitz cover. Like the 80s. Oh, Sinkovich. Sinkovich. Yeah. Bill yeah. Sinkovich. Yeah, yeah, Bill Sinkovich. Uh, like the 80s, the like painter, right? Arkham. Yeah, exactly. Like the Arkham Asylum style kind of Joker yeah. cover. Shit's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I saw that cover. I was like, fuck. I, w- I mean, if I was still collecting floppies, that would have been that would have been the cover I would have grabbed because yeah. Sinkovich is he's a he's a piece of fucking talent, that guy. So, oh, yeah. But yeah, so but the one I'm recommending right now is the Catwoman 80th anniversary. Super spectacular. Uh, it's 100 pages. It's got some great self-contained stories. Unfortunately, it does have some fucking Cameron Stewart art. So, but whatever. It's there's like there's a bunch of other like great stuff in there. There's uh like it it just celebrates so like Selena Kyle and Catwoman in general is a character that's had so many different crazy iterations. Like for every version of the batman there's been a version of catwoman basically yeah some of them are insane yeah uh you know like that original one with the fucking like full-on taxidermy cat head hey man (laughs) it could be worse it could go back to that halle berry version you know like (laughs) there's there's a lot of shitty versions of catwoman and there's a lot of just like catwoman is awesome catwoman is my second most drawn character of all time i went and did like a tally one time and was like who's the most drawn character of all time guess who it is it's batman Surprisingly, my second most strong character of all time, Catwoman, not Spider-Man or Wolverine. It was Catwoman. I guess I just like drawing girls in cat outfits. I don't. <laughs> that's a that's a therapy session for a different time. Yeah, we can do that one at some other point. It's fine. But uh, but yeah, I mean these anniversary specials are basically just celebrations of the character for the most mm-hmm. part. They usually do a little bit, like maybe the last story will set up the you know an upcoming story arc or something like that. But the majority of it is just like, hey, here's a bunch of fucking really fun stories that embody this character. Um, so in this one, there's stories by Paul Dini, by Tom. King by Ed Brubaker, uh, and there's some the the most standout art was uh, from uh, Mikael Janin, uh, Kelly Jones, and Pia Guerra. I'll do Ooh, Kelly Jones, hey, eh? yeah. interesting. I haven't heard him, I haven't heard from him at all. That like a 90s long big booty Catwoman. Well, I was more like his Batman. I liked his Batman because it was yeah. like that big gothic Broody. like like cape and like the cape was alive and like the oh, fucking four long, foot fucking horns and shit yeah, yeah. long ears <laughs> like it's like i mean it's not something i would like to see i never liked it when he did sequentials but i liked it like on the covers and stuff i thought it was yeah. like striking on the covers so. well that's the thing in, in these things they also have these little one page just pin up 
uh, pieces as well nice. that have yeah. some really, uh, really great artists doing those too. So who's the, uh, the cover guy, like the main cover. I'm seeing the one that's just the close up of her pulling her modern mask on. I love this guy. Whoever's drawing her stuff, right? Like Catwoman right now is amazing. And, and like this guy's style or whoever this person's style, I'm not sure who drew it, but either way, it's very yeah. good. Like very good. So, Oh, that one is, um, that's Joel Jones. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to look this person up. Yeah. She did the first few. Um, yeah. Her, she, she's the one that did the redesign for this current Catwoman run uh, of the character. And she also wrote and, and drew the first few issues and okay. then, and then kind of dropped off. But yeah, the one where she's pulling on that mask is, uh, is Joelle Jones. Yeah. I've really enjoyed her Catwoman art. Cause I love her art. Like Joel Jones is an amazing artist. I hate that costume. Like it's so impractical that they went back <laughs> to all these holes and shit on it. But especially after the actually, especially after having Darwin fucking cook design, like the perfect costume for her, like that yeah. Darwin cook Ed Brubacher costume is like, that is the Catwoman costume. I'm going to go to my grave thinking about, you know what I mean? Like it's so perfect. Yeah. With the goggles. Yeah. With the, well, cause the goggles just work. You know what I mean? Like that big cat eye effect and all that yeah. other stuff. It's not too ridiculous with the cat ears. It's just a, like a, a, like a spy suit basically whereas yeah. this thing with the weird under like the the, the weird like arm. shoulder windows like yeah. the yeah like the the armpit windows i'm like what is that about like that <laughs> makes no sense to me like it looks cool but it's just it's so weird i don't know either way <laughs> yeah talented artist talented artist yeah, indeed oh and, and we'll hear this list some of the uh, pinup artists that are in it uh so babstar ty templeton tim sale jiley nice. jim balen all have these little one page uh pinups in it too so yeah and i mean some of the cover art is amazing too like there's yeah. a uh there's a jim lee cover there's a stanley uh art germ lao cover there's a frank yeah. joe cover j scott campbell fuck yeah just it's just crazy <laughs> Adam Hughes did like the old like a uh, 60s I think uh, version so yeah. nice lot lot of good stuff and art and stories in this thing cool well I'll, I'll pick it up and uh, take a look at it when I get out somewhere yeah where I can get comics <laughs> So with that, we can finish off this week's episode. So thank you very much for listening. If you uh, have anything to contribute on Marvels, if you've read the series and have thoughts on it that you'd like to share with us, we would love to hear them. You can share them with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. You can email us at dancerbotdancepodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at drd underscore podcast. And if you are not already subscribed to our podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and most place that podcasts can be retrieved. So with that, let's say good night for this week. Good night, Mark. Good night, everybody. And this is Tim saying good night. And yeah, go dive into some Marvel history. Oh, I guess I should end the episode right like and stop looking hey. at Joel Jones' art. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> or Joel Jones. She's also a very pretty woman. <laughs> now Mark is looking at pictures of Joelle Jones or stuff. Oh no, I'm just I'm just looking at her Twitter icon. Yeah, can confirm. <laughs> can confirm. Yeah. Cool. Man, super talented. Anyway, Portland, Oregon. Oh. I need to meet this woman. Anyway. <laughs>